0: Welcome to Current Radio's Technology Station. Please enjoy today's selection of technology news. In the world of AI, it seems we have a bit of a naming conflict. Grimes, Canadian musician and ex-partner of Elon Musk, is stepping into the toy business with a character named Grok that she's voicing for Curio's new line of AI plushies.
1: Wait, Grok? Isn't that the same name as the AI chatbot backed by Elon Musk?
0: Yes, it is. But interestingly enough, these two Groks couldn't be more different. Musk's Grok is known for its rebellious streak, even capable of vulgarity. So
1: it's like a bad boy AI and Grimes' Grok is a cuddly toy?
0: Exactly. Grimes' Grok, along with Gabo and Grem, are designed to encourage play and spark children's imagination. It's an alternative to screens, something Grimes is
1: passionate about. So these plushies are like interactive storybooks. That's a neat idea. But how do they work?
0: They're essentially Wi-Fi connected speakers and mics encased in plush toys. They can answer questions, play games, and even help kids develop listening and conversation skills. The toys are connected to an app that allows parents to set up and monitor their kids' interactions with them.
1: Sounds like a great way to keep kids engaged and learning without staring at a screen. But back to the naming issue, how did that happen?
0: Well, it's a bit of a funny overlap. Grimes' Grok was actually trademarked first. Curio filed its trademark for Grok on September 12th this year, while XAI filed its trademark for Grok on October 23. And Grok is short for Grocket, since Grimes' kids spend so much time around
1: rockets. Because their father owns SpaceX, right? That's a clever nod. But it's quite a coincidence that both Grimes and Musk ended up with AI projects named Grok.
0: Indeed, it is. And Grimes seems to have taken it in stride, She's even said, so there are two AIs named Grok now. I can't wait for them to become friends.
1: Well, I suppose in the world of AI, anything is possible. It'll be interesting to see how these two Groks evolve and whether they'll ever meet in the virtual world.
0: From one tech story to another, let's shift gears from the curious case of dual-named AIs to a significant development in the world of tech giants. This time, we're focusing on Apple, a company that's no stranger to making headlines, But this time, it's not about a new product or feature. Instead, they're in the spotlight due to a recent legal settlement. Let's delve into the details. All right, Celeste, let's talk about Apple. The tech giant has recently agreed to a $25 million settlement over a class action lawsuit concerning its family sharing feature. You're familiar with that feature, aren't you?
1: Absolutely, James. Family sharing allows users to share access to apps, music, movies, and more with up to five family members. However, it seems that there's been some controversy around this feature.
0: Yes, the lawsuit filed back in 2019 alleges that Apple misrepresented this feature's ability to share subscriptions to apps. Quite a hefty claim, don't you think?
1: Definitely, but it's important to note that Apple denies any wrongdoing. The company states that it did not make any misleading misrepresentations and is only settling to avoid the burden and cost of defending this action.
0: Without admitting any fault, liability, or wrongdoing, right?
1: Exactly. It's a common strategy in such cases. Now, the court documents shed some light on the specifics. They allege that Apple advertised family sharing as an option on apps that didn't actually support this feature.
0: So the issue lies with subscription-based apps, which are a growing percentage of Apple apps. These apps apparently cannot be shared with designated family members, but were still advertised as supporting family sharing up until January 2019.
1: That's correct. The lawsuit alleges that Apple was aware of this, but still placed an ad for family sharing on these apps. Millions of consumers, it seems, downloaded these apps, believing they could be shared, only to find out after payment that they couldn't.
0: And if you were enrolled in a family sharing group and purchased a subscription to an app from the App Store, between June 2015 and January 2019, you might be eligible for a payment.
1: Right. Eligible class members will be receiving an email about this. Each class member that files a claim could receive up to $30, but this may vary depending on how many people file claims. The maximum payment won't exceed $50 per class member, with $10 million of the settlement going towards attorney fees.
0: And they have until March 1, 2024, to file a claim. We'll have to keep an eye on this, Celeste. It's a reminder that even tech giants like Apple aren't immune to legal scrutiny, especially when it comes to user experience and transparency.
1: Absolutely, James. It's a significant development, and it'll be interesting to see how this influences Apple's policies and features in the future.
0: From legal tussles to tech transitions, Apple continues to make headlines. As we leave behind the discussion on their recent settlement, let's shift our focus to another big move by the tech giant. It seems that after 11 years, Apple is finally saying goodbye to the lightning connector and hello to the more universal USB-C. But as with any major change, this one also comes with its own set of debates and discussions. Let's dive in. Did you hear Celeste? Apple's finally phasing out the lightning connector after 11 years. They're shifting to the more universal USB-C. It's about time, don't you think?
1: Absolutely, James. But this move has sparked a whole new debate about open standards versus silos. Remember Beeper? That app that allowed Android users to send iMessages to iPhone users?
0: Yes, and Apple quickly shut that down, drawing some serious side-eye. It's a reminder that relying too heavily on another company's ecosystem can be risky. Speaking of ecosystems, did you hear about Omidyar Network pulling out of India?
1: Yes. After 13 years, they're citing a significant change in context and the rise of local philanthropy and venture capital as reasons. But it's left many puzzled, especially considering their recent investments and public engagements.
0: It's a bit of a plot twist, and it seems to be part of a broader trend, with Indian startups raising significantly less this year compared to previous years. But switching gears, did you hear about OpenAI's move into India?
1: Yes, they've enlisted Rishi Jaitley, Twitter India's ex-chief, to help navigate India's complex policy landscape. It's a bold move, especially considering they don't have an official presence yet.
0: AI is definitely a hot topic. Speaking of, have you heard about Sarvam AI? They're a startup just five months old and they've already secured $41 million in funding. They're looking to build full-stack generative AI offerings with a focus on Indian languages and voice interfaces.
1: That's impressive. But it's not just Indian startups making waves in AI. Mistral AI, a Parisian startup, just closed a whopping $415 million funding round. They're shaping the future of AI with a distinctly European flair.
0: Certainly, AI is a global phenomenon. Even Google's making significant strides with its new Gemini project, which is powering a lot of its AI efforts. They've also launched AI Studio and AlphaCode 2, based on the tech, along with a huge update to the chatbot platform, Bard.
1: And let's not forget the new Pixel 8 Pro, powered by Gemini. It's making other phones look like they're still stuck in the past. It has an AI summarizer, a smart reply feature, and it even works on device without Wi-Fi or a signal. Truly AI-enhanced.
0: Absolutely. But it's not just big tech making strides in AI. There's also Grok, a new AI that promises to add a dash of unpredictability to daily digital interactions. It's being rolled out to all premium subscribers, followed by all English language users, then Japanese language users.
1: And let's not forget Relevance AI, offering custom AI agents to businesses of all sizes. They've secured a cool $13.2 million in funding, But James, what's your take on the EU's new risk-based framework for regulating artificial intelligence?
0: It's certainly a significant step, Celeste. The regulation of AI is a complex issue, and it's good to see lawmakers taking it seriously. Shifting gears, it seems early-stage startups are defying gloomy narratives with better valuations and more cash flow. What's your take on this?
1: It's interesting, James. It seems the startup world is favoring the young and sprightly, signaling a shift towards sprinting toward an IPO, rather than marinating in private equity. But it's not all rosy. Fintechs like Stripe and Brex have seen haircuts in valuations.
0: True, but new unicorns like Tabby and Enable are emerging. And Simply Homes is making waves by tackling affordable housing. There's always hope, isn't there?
1: Absolutely, James. And while we're on the topic of hope, Fundraising season is coming soon. VCs will be back from their December breaks and ready to dispense cash again. It's an exciting time for startups. Definitely.
0: But it's not all good news. Techstars is hitting the pause button on its Austin chapter, signaling a potential shift in the city's tech allure. Austin's not as cheap as it once seemed, especially with housing prices.
1: On a caffeine high, to say the least. It's a reminder that the tech world is constantly evolving isn't it?
0: Speaking of evolving landscapes, let's shift our attention from the world of startups and AI to the realm of cryptocurrency. As we know, this space is not just for the tech savvy anymore. In fact, one popular investment app is making strides to ensure it's accessible to all. Let's dive into it. So Robinhood, the investment app, has been around for a while now. They've dipped their toes into crypto, but now they're looking to dive deeper, right? Right, James.
1: But it's interesting because they're not just targeting the tech-savvy crypto enthusiasts. They're trying to make it accessible for everyone.
0: And that's a pretty big deal. Johan Kerbrat, the GM of crypto at Robinhood, mentioned that crypto has always been a space for technical
1: people. Which can be a barrier for those who just want to get involved without understanding all the tech jargon. So they're trying to simplify things. Exactly, Celeste.
0: And while they've done a good job with beginners, providing educational resources and such, they're not neglecting those who do care about the technical aspects. Users can now do more complex things like transferring to a crypto wallet, using advanced charts, and setting stop losses.
1: So it's like they're trying to be a one-stop shop for all types of crypto users?
0: Seems so. But it's not all smooth sailing. Remember back in June when they had to limit the trading and holding of certain cryptocurrencies for US customers?
1: Right, the U.S. government was cracking down on big exchanges like Binance and Coinbase. But despite that, Robinhood still offers 14 cryptocurrencies and one stablecoin, USDC, for users to trade. It's like they're trying to strike a balance between compliance and offering variety. Exactly.
0: And it's clear they're not resting on their laurels. They're doing research, trying to understand what customers want and what they're missing. It's a fascinating approach, don't you think?
1: Definitely, it's a bold move, but in a rapidly evolving space like crypto, perhaps that's exactly what's needed.